I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, November 15th, 2022, the 664th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast on a wide range of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. You can link to all of the places to find me, including the merch store at linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And by all means, share the show with your friends. So as I said, it's November 15th, 2022. We have been told by President Trump that today will be one of the most important days in American history. And obviously it remains to be seen what he means by that. He said it yesterday. He reiterated that this morning, updating his post on Truth Social. He actually wrote this late last night as last night turned into today. Hopefully today will turn out to be one of the most important days in the history of our country. And I want to spend a little time thinking about what it might be that he's announcing and then how we should potentially feel about that. But first, last night, the mainstream media decided that it was time to announce a winner in the Arizona governor's race, and they gave it to Katie Hobbs. And with that, they made sure not to allow Republicans to win in the governorship, the Senate race, the attorney general race, or the secretary of state race. All of those were thought to be a mathematical lock 
toward the middle or end of last week as the numbers came in. They knew where the votes were supposed to be coming from. And then we just waited days and days and days and the media announced the winners and the numbers continue to be filled in as it stands right now in Arizona. If you go by the numbers the television has produced, you will find a series of impossible outcomes like that the Arizona state mine inspector, the Republican, got 400 plus thousand more votes than Kerry Lake. And the Republican candidate for state treasurer received over 100,000 more votes than Kerry Lake. So apparently the governor, who was 11 points up in the polls in the lead up to the election, The governor who's been on national television, the governor who has traveled around Arizona with big crowds, lost to Katie Hobbs, who barely campaigned. She didn't debate. She couldn't draw a crowd anywhere. And yet we are being told that she still won because Carrie Lake's brand of America first MAGA populism was so untenable to the people of Arizona. As it stands now, Katie Hobbs had a bigger win in Arizona than even Joe Biden's win in Arizona. Katie Hobbs is more popular than the most popular president of all time? Impossible. So as I said last week, we're going to be given a winner. We're going to be given a loser. We will be told who those people are by the television, the media will make the decision, they'll call the race, and then we are supposed to imagine that their call is some sort of official ruling on the outcome of an election, and as soon as they call it, no one can question it. If you question it, then you're telling the big lie, and you're threatening American democracy. Now, these races have not been certified yet, And there will be challenges to these races. Hopefully there are challenges to races all around the country. But of course, Katie Hobbs, in her role as secretary of state, is also going to be in charge of certifying her own election for governor. And so we'll just have to see how that process pans out. I don't think it's a coincidence that that race was called the day before President Trump plans to have this big announcement. And it shouldn't surprise anyone that narratives about Donald Trump being indicted have popped back up. Donald Trump filed a lawsuit a few days ago about the subpoena from the January 6th committee. And rather than allowing the court process to play out, the J6 committee is getting jumpy. Yesterday, they released this statement from Chairman Benny Thompson who barely, quote unquote, won his reelection down in Mississippi. They just got across the line in the middle of the night on election night. And of course, Liz Cheney, who lost her primary by 40 points and is now being talked about as a strange dark horse candidate for Speaker of the House. Former President Trump has failed to comply with the select committee's subpoena requiring him to appear for a deposition today. Even though the former president initially suggested that he would testify before the committee, he has since filed a lawsuit asking the courts to protect him from giving testimony. His attorneys have made no attempt to negotiate an appearance of any sort, and his lawsuit parades out many of the same arguments that courts have rejected repeatedly over the last year. The truth is that Donald Trump, like several of his closest allies, is hiding from the select committee's investigation and refusing to do what more than a thousand other witnesses have done. Donald Trump orchestrated a scheme to overturn a presidential election and block the transfer of power. He is obligated to provide answers to the American people. In the days ahead, the committee will evaluate next steps in the litigation and regarding the former president's noncompliance. And that is so very threatening and legitimate sounding. And of course, all the left wing Twitter influencers are demanding that Donald Trump be indicted immediately for all his many crimes, none of which they can actually describe. 
So the establishment on both sides seems to be freaking out about whatever's about to happen tonight. The Democrats are setting themselves on fire, wanting Trump to be indicted. They're pushing the global agenda forward around the world in every way they can. We're going to get to some more of that later. And the Republican establishment is out on Twitter doing very astute analysis about how Carrie Lake lost because of Donald Trump and MAGA. And they are accepting that all of these elections were free and fair and clean. No fraud. Everything's okay. These are certainly accurate counts and a reflection of the will of the voters. That's what we're getting from conservative media, even after watching things play out over the past week. Many of these people are ignorant by choice, and some of them are obviously extraordinarily anti-American and more than happy to continue benefiting with the ascent of the global order and hopefully a return to Republican establishment style politics where they get to all seem like authoritative sources for information and analysis. It's all pretty pathetic. And we'll see how it looks in retrospect after we know what Donald Trump plans to announce tonight. So the first and most obvious option, this is what we've been told Donald Trump is going to do by the media for a pretty long time. We're told Donald Trump is going to announce that he's running for president in 2024. And there's a chance that that's all the announcement is. But I really doubt it. And I think that Trump probably understands the mood of the country better than that. And I think he also understands how an announcement that he's running for president in 2024 would be taken. It's a bit anticlimactic at this point. It's basically been assumed by MAGA supporters and by everyone else that Donald Trump is going to be in that mix in 2024, or at the very least, he has something else up his sleeve that will involve him retaining the leadership position of this movement as it goes forward. That sounds like a pretty boring and rather safe option for tonight. And I don't think that we're going to see that. I don't think that Donald Trump would go out and say, hopefully this will be one of the most important days in our country's history. If all he was doing was announcing a presidential campaign. So what else could it be? Let's explore the range of options. We spent some time this weekend at ThreadFest discussing some of these. We've thought up new ones. Some of the ideas are mine. Some of them are just floating around in the ether. One of them that I don't think will happen could be the announcement of Donald Trump as the presidential candidate and Carrie Lake as his vice presidential candidate. Don't think that's going to happen. I do think Carrie Lake is going to fight for the governorship of Arizona. I think that she will become governor of Arizona. Let's hope. And I think that, as she says, she will serve two terms as the governor of Arizona. There's still a lot to play out. I wouldn't want to take that off the table, though I know the very serious intellectuals in the media will say, no, it's all over. Carrie Lake lost. We need to do a better job of harvesting ballots next time. We need to focus on unifying the party and blah, blah, blah. This is still the strategy from Conservative Incorporated today. We just need to be better than the Democrats at their own system. Well, that confuses who's running the system. It's the Uniparty. It's not the Democrats. It's the establishment on both sides picking winners and losers. And it also misunderstands the system. The Uniparty controls the voter registries. They control the ballot distribution. They control the harvesting of those ballots, the casting of those ballots, and the counting of those ballots. So you can't just outdo them on the system. So again, I think it's unlikely that Donald Trump would announce himself as the candidate and Kerry Lake as the vice presidential candidate. But it's the sort of thing that could at least warrant a pretty big news cycle. And it would be a clear message to the Republican establishment 
that Donald Trump doesn't need them. MAGA doesn't need them. And if they want to go to war on it, then their terms are acceptable. Now, along the same lines, it's also possible that Donald Trump will announce the formation of a third party. It's possible that his speech tonight will be a surgical dismantling of both parties, of the Democrats and the Republicans, both complicit in the corruption, both complicit in the COVID narrative and the response, the masks, the lockdowns, the vaccines, both complicit in the illegal immigration problem, both complicit in the corruption, both complicit in the selling out of America to the Chinese Communist Party, both complicit in the cover-ups that we've seen now for decades, both complicit in the money laundering operations in places like Afghanistan and now in Ukraine, and of course, both complicit in rigging and stealing elections and removing the will of the American people from the American government, from American society. Now, a lot of people are saying that it will be really difficult to gain ballot access around the country as a third party, and that's why this option's not possible. I think that that's one of those kind of silly counterpoints that doesn't actually make sense in reality. If a third party is the plan, if that's what we're going to do, then we're going to get ballot access all around the country. The political parties can't just keep half the country off the ballots in all 50 states. That's just not going to work. It's all going to happen out there in the open. And I think there's more than enough Americans out there who would rush to a third party option, an America first third party option, as they continue to wake up and understand that the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are both in it together and both dead set on pushing an agenda that stands in direct opposition to the will of the American people. Donald Trump knows what he's dealing with in terms of his backing. He knows what the support level is across the American public for what he's doing, and he knows that people are waking up. If he decides to start a third party, he's going to have a whole lot of support in that third party, and the Republicans would see their membership fall off a cliff. So there are some favorable arguments to that move, but I also don't think it's that. I think that Donald Trump is probably content to continue reshaping the Republican Party and just getting rid of rhinos as we move along so he can simply continue to use the apparatus of the party as it's already set up. I've seen some suggestion that he might be launching a lawsuit, perhaps against the RNC. That doesn't seem like a terribly exciting option to me, and so I kind of doubt that that has much chance of happening. There's been some speculation that he might go over the classified documents from Mar-a-Lago just right there in front of the public, or potentially some other sort of declassified information. It could be full public exposure of an issue that will strike at the heart of the corruption and the criminality of the Democrat and Republican establishments together, or maybe something involving Joe or Hunter Biden, something that really illustrates the selling out of our country, whether it's to the CCP or to global interests, as we're doing with the entire Ukraine effort. And I guess, depending on what the information is, that would have the potential to warrant all the hoopla and hype around this announcement. But it also seems like something that the media would be able to call a conspiracy theory and attempt to move on from pretty quickly, depending on how the presentation of the whole thing went down. I was considering over the weekend the possibility that Donald Trump might be announcing some kind of partnership between Trump Media and Technology Group that runs Truth Social and maybe Rumble, who they now partner with at some level, and Twitter. 
Maybe there's something going on behind the scenes with Elon Musk. Donald Trump has also been hinting for a while that CNN should turn into a conservative network. So maybe he's got some sort of partnership cooking with CNN's new owner as of earlier this year, John Malone. And that could be interesting. It would certainly set the media world on fire. It would certainly change the game in terms of what the mainstream media is delivering to the American people. You would have to think that every single person who works at CNN and appears on television for CNN would be immediately eliminated from that organization. And truthfully, the CNN anchors have been going ballistic this week. They are really upset and scared about something. Jake Tapper was screaming on CNN yesterday about how Carrie Lake is an election liar. And it's hard to think that they actually believe that tactic is going to work again. But it is possible that it's the best thing they've got. But what else could it be? Well, it could be a more profound public disclosure of election fraud in this country and potentially elsewhere. Jeff O'Donnell, the cyber expert who posts as the lone raccoon on social media, put this up on Telegram yesterday. I have been asked for an operational update. It should not be surprising that there is a lot of data to pour over. Many races were obviously and arrogantly stolen. A few people ran terrible campaigns. We have people we thought were in this for the long haul run like scared rabbits from a hunting party. We have some who had their eyes wide open and are in this for the eventual win. From a national perspective, there is now an acknowledgement that this is the hill to risk dying on, and we have to do something now. I am gratified by this, but cannot say more. They knew we were watching. They were warned. Game on. So I like the confidence. I like where he's going with all this, but all that really matters is whether or not he has the information he claims to have and whether or not he's accurate that this is the stand to make and that this stand will be made. So we just have to wait and see. I could imagine it being an extended presentation about the evidence of election fraud and perhaps a public showing of the evidence that the January 6th narrative was completely false from the beginning. We're being told that there is a massive amount of media planning to be at Mar-a-Lago tonight to broadcast the announcement on national television. I kind of doubt that they've tried as hard as they can to ignore Donald Trump and the things he says for the last two years and would seem to have very little incentive to want to put his full announcement out on television they would probably prefer to ignore all of the parts that are inconvenient and find a few things that they can attack and then make the entire announcement seem like it was about those few things. But this would be a good opportunity with the eyes of the nation on this announcement to provide conclusive proof of election fraud in 2020, maybe in 2018, maybe in 2016, And certainly in 2022, people are really beginning to understand that the elections in this country are not legitimate. The winners of these elections do not reflect the will of the American people. They do not reflect the will of the voters in any given state or city or small town, right down to the school boards. He certainly has the evidence. He's presented the evidence many times and in many ways. But the national media always calls it a conspiracy theory, and they make sure that the country can never have access to any of it. Now, we don't know what else is going on behind the scenes. We do know that there are court cases that are still open and have been open throughout this entire time. We know Lindell's information has gone to various courts. If there is any progress at all on that front, real court decisions then that would certainly be an explosive announcement. That is the sort of thing I imagine we might see in advance of the announcement. The news would be covering the reality of that story, and then Trump would be 
hammering it home tonight. There's certainly a few different ways that that kind of scenario could play out. And the country definitely needs to know about election fraud. That is the most important issue, and it has been the most important issue. And I have said consistently for two years that that's the most important issue. The recognition that elections in America are stolen is my litmus test for everyone. Either they're honest about that or they're not. Either they objected to the certification of fraudulent electors in 2021 or they did not. And if they have not done that by now, whoever has failed to do so should pretty clearly be seen as not on our side. And that could come into really stark contrast tonight, depending on how Donald Trump handles things. Regardless, I expect that he is going to give some condensed version of his normal rally speech and include the announcement in that speech, maybe toward the end. And since we are speculating, it's at least worth considering if there could be even bigger and more explosive options. And my friends who follow Q, of course, have presented some of these options. Maybe we see the announcement of arrests. Maybe we see confirmation of something along the lines of devolution in play. Not that devolution is a Q thing. I'm just saying that is the sort of announcement that would be in line with Q-related speculation. I'm sure we would all love to see a live stream of Gitmo with some of our favorite characters walking around in orange jumpsuits, but I don't expect that's what it's going to be. On the other hand, Donald Trump spent the morning on Truth Social retruthing probably 50 posts that are mostly Q-related memes, posts that say Donald Trump is always 17 steps ahead, one that said, let's finish this, one that says you'll like how this movie ends, one that says put an end to the endless, which is a direct reference to a brand new Q post from a couple of days ago. So whatever Donald Trump is doing in regard to Q, he's certainly focusing some attention there. And who knows? Maybe tonight's the night. Maybe tonight is the night that Donald Trump confirms Q out in the open. For people who follow it closely, they would argue that he's confirmed it countless times over the past few years and that it is proven beyond doubt. And while I certainly agree with them that he has called attention to it countless times over the past few years, I would stop short of saying that by doing that, he is also confirming the interpretations about what will happen and what all of it definitely means. But I certainly don't think it's impossible that Donald Trump gives at least a nod to the Q community tonight. So a bunch of options. I don't know which one it's going to be. It's totally possible that he'll surprise us all and that none of these options will be what we see from Donald Trump tonight. Maybe they're going to attempt to indict and arrest him before he's even able to make his announcement. Maybe they'll attempt to figure out a way to cut the nation's power off so no one can see it. But within the next 12 hours, we are going to know the answer to that question so for us, the important thing will be to watch the announcement and then try to understand the announcement, unless it's something truly explosive like the election fraud stuff or the Q stuff. There's a good chance that whatever he says tonight, we are going to wake up tomorrow in a world very similar to the one we're in right now. And so we will need to analyze what's happening and try to understand what's happening and try to understand our direction forward and then take action corresponding to that direction. There's been this big tendency the last couple of days on social media. It seems very coordinated. It seems like it could be bots or sock puppet accounts. But a big push to declare for everyone that we've all reached the precipice and something must be done now. And if it's not, maybe then it's time to take to the streets. And I don't deny that there's a point that the country might reach where that is necessitated, but it's not right now. 
And even if it's tomorrow, it's not right now. So the idea that a bunch of people who have supported President Trump up till now have just lost all hope and decided that civil war or something akin to that is the proper route before hearing what it is Trump announces is pretty silly to the point of being unbelievable as far as I'm concerned particularly when we are already aware of a widespread and coordinated campaign to demoralize MAGA. But we will wait and see. So what else is going on in the country right now and what can we take from it? Well, yesterday, Governor Abbott in Texas made a call for investigation of Harris County elections. This is the statement from the governor's office. Governor Greg Abbott today called for an investigation into the widespread problems with Harris County's elections last Tuesday. Voters in Harris County were frustrated by confusion and delays, including missing keys, insufficient paper ballots in Republican precincts, staffing problems and more. I'm calling on the secretary of state, the attorney general's office and the Texas Rangers to initiate investigations into allegations of improprieties in the way that the 2022 elections were conducted in Harris County, said Governor Abbott. The allegations of election improprieties in our state's largest county may result from anything ranging from malfeasance to blatant criminal conduct. Voters in Harris County deserve to know what happened. Integrity in the election process is essential to achieve that standard. A thorough investigation is warranted. So that is a good first step. And we will see how that goes. We will see if it's legitimate. Again, I talked about this yesterday. The election integrity efforts made in states around this country in the wake of the 2020 election were almost entirely toothless. There certainly are some state legislators around the country who did their jobs and pursued election fraud in their states. There were some great people in Arizona. There were some great people in Wisconsin and in most other places, not much got done. Ron DeSantis set up a state task force to investigate their elections. But as I've said before, that is a solution that doesn't mean much to me. I don't want more state agencies telling me that everything is okay when the establishment is what's rigging the elections. That basically ends up with the establishment investigating itself. And even if you love Ron DeSantis and you trust Ron DeSantis, what happens when Ron DeSantis is not governor of Florida anymore? Then who controls the state task force on election integrity? Well, it's just whoever's left there. We have seen plenty of state entities fail to do their jobs in pursuing election integrity. The solution to election integrity is to expose the election system to the nation, expose what fraud has occurred, get rid of the machines and take the election process back down to its very roots. And by the way, I should have mentioned this in the discussion about Trump exposing election fraud tonight. If Donald Trump has a degree of functional power in whatever his role is right now to demand a do-over of the elections without the machines fully monitored, even just in Arizona, that would be rather earth shattering. That would be something that all of the media would need to see. And if Donald Trump does retain the power and ability to make that happen right now in his role as former president, that would make heads explode all over the place. So there is at least some reason to doubt that Governor Greg Abbott is committed to America first. People have explored his connections to the Chinese Communist Party. He has been rather weak on immigration. He has said nothing about election fraud. He seems to be a tool of the establishment. And he was reelected last Tuesday night in elections controlled by the establishment. Texas's elections are run by voting machines. He has done nothing to get rid of them. And so the most likely option, assuming nothing else crazy going on behind the scenes, again, it's always possible that all of these people who seem like they are not down with America first, 
and like they are subverting the whole thing are actually just playing a role. I understand that people believe that. I don't think that analyzing and processing everything as if all of that is happening is the most productive way to understand what's going on, but we'll see. I can't just trust that announcing an investigation as Governor Abbott did will just immediately clear the whole thing up. That said, Governor Abbott just made another strong announcement today on Twitter two hours ago. He wrote, I invoked the invasion clauses of the U.S. and Texas constitutions to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend our state against an invasion. I'm using that constitutional authority and other authorization and executive orders to keep our state and country safe. And then he posts a screenshot of bullet points. Number one, deploy the National Guard to safeguard our border and to repel and turn back immigrants trying to cross the border illegally Two, deploy the Texas Department of Public Safety to arrest and return to the border immigrants who crossed illegally and deploy DPS to arrest illegal immigrants for criminal activity. Three, build a border wall in multiple counties on the border Four, deploy gunboats to secure the border. Five. Designate Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. That's a big one. Number six, enter into a compact with other states to secure the border. And with that one, I would be very interested to see what other states he plans on entering a compact with. I can't imagine he's going to be entering a compact with Katie Hobbs as governor of Arizona. Number seven, enter into agreements with foreign powers to enhance border security. And there I would be interested in what foreign powers exactly he's talking about. And number eight, provide resources for border counties to increase their efforts to repel the border invasion. Now, Russ Vaught, who worked in OMB in the Trump administration, and Ken Cuccinelli, who is the former deputy director of DHS and director of the U.S. Center for Immigration Studies put out a statement from the organization Citizens for Renewing America. They wrote, while this sounds good, Governor Abbott has not invoked the full authority of an invasion declaration, saying you're being invaded but not blocking the invaders from coming is a hollow shell until Governor Abbott removes illegals back across the border and out of the country. This will continue to be a PR stunt, and Texas and the U.S. are worse off because of it. And there is at least some reason to think that they're right. I discussed Governor Abbott just a minute ago. This is the sort of thing we have been told over the course of the last few years. Every couple of months, Governor Greg Abbott or various other governors are doing this small thing to curb illegal immigration. But a lot of it has been for PR. And until the problem is actually solved, until we can see direct efforts that could solve this problem quickly, it's hard to put much stock in statements about investigations or statements about using the power of the office of governor to stop what is absolutely an invasion. So is Greg Abbott doing something productive and coming to these issues from an America first viewpoint, or is he just making it look like the Republicans are finally going to do something now that the midterms are over? We shall see. So let's move into some of the legal happenings right now. This is CNN from yesterday in the evening. Feds end Ukraine related foreign lobbying investigation into Rudy Giuliani without filing charges. Federal prosecutors investigating Rudy Giuliani's activities in Ukraine have closed their investigation after more than two years and said no criminal charges will be brought. Oh, man, I thought there was an entire fake impeachment about this issue. Wasn't Rudy Giuliani breaking the law by investigating Joe and Hunter Biden's corruption and the corruption of the deep state in Ukraine. I thought that was all a crime. And didn't Donald Trump propose a quid pro quo? Isn't that what that was all about? Remember that whole Ukraine thing? 
That whole thing that could have easily been completely avoided if the FBI had admitted they possessed Hunter Biden's laptop at that point, which they did. And that laptop contains conclusive exculpatory evidence that proves that Giuliani was looking into something real, that proves Donald Trump was looking into something real, and that proves that Joe Biden and his son Hunter do have corrupt business dealings in Ukraine and with the Chinese Communist Party, different figures in Russia, etc. All of mainstream Twitter was told that Rudy Giuliani was a criminal. Turns out he's not. Shocker. Prosecutors with the Office of U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York have been investigating Giuliani, the former personal attorney to former President Donald Trump, for possible violations of foreign lobbying laws since early 2019. On Monday, they informed a judge overseeing the investigation that they were closing the case. The notification came in a court filing with prosecutors asking the judge to terminate the special master who was appointed to oversee a review of documents obtained when the FBI executed a search warrant on the former New York City mayor's home in April 2021. So right there, you have the FBI engaging in a political persecution and unjustly using their powers now we can see that they had absolutely nothing the entire time. And it's taken years for this situation to play out while Rudy Giuliani has had to deal with all of this and deal with having his name be dragged through the dirt. It's wonderful, long expected news, said Robert Costello, an attorney for Giuliani. Unfortunately, Mayor Giuliani had to spend two and a half years to three years with this cloud over his head. Ted Goodman, a spokesperson and political advisor to Giuliani, said the mayor has been completely and totally vindicated. We hope this will help bring an end to the unwarranted attacks on the mayor, a man who is quite literally the most successful prosecutor of the most dangerous criminals over the past 50 years. I challenge someone to find a more successful crime fighter than Rudy Giuliani, a man who cleaned up city government and took down the mafia. And of course, that is correct. Rudy Giuliani knows as well as anyone how to go after criminal enterprises, which is exactly what he was doing as he was investigating Joe Biden's dealings in Ukraine. The end of the investigation also closes a chapter from the Trump administration that involved two South Florida businessmen, shadow diplomacy efforts, including a plot to oust the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and an impeachment trial of the former president. Prosecutors had examined whether Giuliani violated foreign lobbying laws by operating on behalf of Ukrainian officials when he sought the ouster of the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, while urging Ukraine to investigate Trump's 2020 political rival, then Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. And that description is a bit skewed. Joe Biden was a Democrat primary candidate at that time. He was not Donald Trump's opponent at that time. So what claim are they making that if someone submits themselves for their party's primary, they are no longer allowed to be investigated for foreign corruption? That is what we are being told. That is the underlying narrative here that you have to accept to accept their framing. And the article goes on and on. I want to just jump to the end here. The decision to close the investigation also shows the challenges the Justice Department has faced when trying to enforce foreign lobbying laws, an area of increased focus because of the potential risks to national security. And it's funny that they say it's difficult to enforce. No, they just simply don't enforce these laws. And if they did, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden would have a whole lot of problems. Earlier this month, Trump ally Tom Barrick and his former assistant were acquitted of acting as undisclosed foreign agents for the United Arab Emirates. The New York investigation isn't the only legal threat Giuliani is facing. His actions trying to overturn the 2020 election results to favor Trump have drawn scrutiny and potentially costly fines or settlements. Dominion Voting Systems filed a billion-dollar defamation lawsuit against Giuliani for his unfounded election fraud claims. Ooh, I'm sure they're going to get him on that one. 
Giuliani has been told he's a target of the criminal investigation conducted by the special grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, which is investigating Trump's efforts to sway the election in his favor. He appeared before the grand jury in August. And of course, that is another fishing expedition. They want everybody's information so they can figure out what's actually going on behind the scenes, something they've been trying to do for the last two years and have failed to do at every turn. Federal prosecutors are also conducting a wide-ranging investigation into efforts to interfere with the transfer of power from the Trump to Biden administration. And once again, the very same thing. There was no effort to interfere with the transfer of power, was there? We all saw the transfer of power take place just as it's supposed to, with totally legitimate ceremonies like the inauguration and like everything else that day, you must remember how wonderful it was watching the formal ceremony where the very real president drives around Washington, D.C. and the National Guard turns their backs to him. That's something that always happens at presidential inaugurations. And so is keeping the inauguration closed to the American public for COVID. Totally, totally for COVID. But once again, we have the mainstream media wrapping up a story about an investigation that they used to cast the shadow of guilt on people like Rudy Giuliani, people like Donald Trump, everyone in Donald Trump's circle, Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro. They just cast this specter of guilt on these people and then treat them as if they are guilty. And once the idea that they're guilty kind of foments in the public collective mind, well, then they get to pretend that everyone actually is guilty, which means that they did the things they're accused of doing. And then you analyze the world as if it's true that they did all those things they're accused of doing, even though there's never been any evidence for any of these things. And the cases routinely fall apart right down to the very last detail. And what else is falling apart right down to the very last detail? Well, this is from the New York Times yesterday. FBI had informants in Proud Boys. Court papers suggest. You got it? They're only suggesting. You can't be certain. It's still in doubt, but they sure are suggesting it. The FBI had as many as eight informants inside the far-right Proud Boys in the months surrounding the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, recent court papers indicate, raising questions about how much federal investigators were able to learn from them about the violent mob attack both before and after it took place. You got that? That's the big takeaway. First of all, the court papers saying the FBI had informants only indicate that they had informants. They only suggest it. The FBI didn't have informants. It's not definite. We're still unsure about that. But if we assume that they did have informants, then the question becomes, what were the informants able to learn? Hey, New York Times, the most important thing here is the FBI's previously undisclosed but also fully known involvement in the very violent insurrection. The existence of the informants came to light over the past few days in a flurry of veiled court filings by defense lawyers for five members of the Proud Boys who are set to go on trial next month on seditious conspiracy charges connected to the Capitol attack. In the papers, some of which were heavily redacted, the lawyers claimed that some of the information the confidential sources had provided to the government was favorable to their efforts to defend their clients against sedition charges and was improperly withheld by prosecutors until several days ago. Isn't that amazing? It was all kept under wraps right up till now. Thank goodness that they kept it under wraps until the midterms were over. You wouldn't want voters to be talking about whether or not the FBI helped stage the very violent insurrection in the lead up to the midterms. That would make it even harder for their narratives to work. And now that the narratives don't need to work anymore, they have selected the results 
based on those narratives. Those narratives already explain why the voters actually voted that way. Well, now it doesn't matter. The results are are all in there. So the narrative can just be tossed to the side. In a sealed filing quoted by the defense, prosecutors argued that hundreds of pages of documents related to the FBI informants were neither suppressed by the government nor directly relevant to the case of the Proud Boys facing sedition charges. Enrique Tario, the group's former leader, Joseph Biggs, Ethan Nordine, Zachary Rell, and Dominic Pizzola. Well, Enrique Tario was picked up last year on January 5th, and he has long been known to be an FBI informant. He was known at the time to be an FBI informant. So that's not new news, even though the New York Times, the paper of record, is treating it that way. Because all of the materials remain under highly restrictive protective order, it is not possible to know what the informants told the government about the Proud Boys' role in the Capitol attack or how that information might affect the outcome of the trial. A closed court hearing was held on Monday to discuss the informants in federal district court in Washington. Lawyers for the Proud Boys have asked Judge Timothy J. Kelly, who is overseeing the case, to dismiss the indictment or at least delay the trial to give them more time to investigate the newly revealed informants. Judge Kelly made no decision at the hearing, according to a notice placed on the docket after the proceeding ended. Because it was sealed, journalists were not allowed in the courtroom. The dispute about the informants in the Proud Boys came on the heels of revelations that the FBI also had a well-placed source in the inner circle of Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers militia, another far-right group that took part in the Capitol attack. Isn't that amazing? The FBI had 12 out of the 18 people involved in the kidnapping plot of Gretchen Whitmer, and then they had informants in two out of the three extremist groups that participated in the very violent insurrection. It would be hard to distinguish where the extremist group ends and the FBI begins because they all seem to be involved in all of these incidents of domestic violent extremists. Last week, lawyers for Mr. Rhodes and four other Oath Keepers who are being tried on sedition charges planned to call the informant, Greg McWhirter, the group's former vice president, as a defense witness, believing that his testimony would bolster their case. But on the eve of his planned appearance, Mr. McWhirter suffered a heart attack and the defense put other witnesses in place. What incredible timing for someone to suffer a heart attack. Maybe they just loaded him up with COVID vaccines. Questions about informants reporting to the government from inside extremist groups have been raised repeatedly throughout the Justice Department's sprawling investigation of the Capitol attack. They've included concerns about why the informants were not able to give the government advanced warning about plans to storm the Capitol on January 6th or seemingly to corroborate accusations after the fact that the groups conspired in plotting the attack. Oh, wow. Questions have been raised. Finally. Someone has finally raised these questions. Former FBI officials say there might have been gaps in what Bureau intelligence analysts had told agents to ask their informants. Analysts at the Bureau are supposed to help agents connect the intelligence dots to provide a clearer picture of threat activity. The FBI's intelligence directorate was created after September 11th to help thwart terrorism and other threats. Oh, the Patriot Act. It remains unclear what sorts of questions the FBI was asking its informants in the Proud Boys and how focused the Bureau was on the group's activities to undermine the results of the elections as January 6th drew near. Previous court papers have suggested that some Proud Boys, including Mr. Biggs, were recruited by the FBI before the election to provide information about their adversaries in the leftist movement known as Antifa, and they kept a lowercase a on Antifa, probably because Antifa is not a real group. They don't actually exist. Just ask Democrat politicians like Jerry Nadler. Last year, the New York Times revealed the existence of an informant in the Kansas City chapter of the Proud Boys who took part in the storming of the Capitol with a group of his compatriots. 
After the attack, the informant told his handlers in interviews that he was not aware of a premeditated plan to break into the building on January 6th, although as a relatively low-level member of the group, it is possible that he simply was not privy to the making of such plans. Right-wing media figures and Republican politicians have often sought to use the issue of FBI informants in extremist groups to suggest that the Bureau had a hand in guiding or encouraging the attack on the Capitol in a way that entrapped other rioters. No evidence has surfaced suggesting that the FBI played any role in the attack. No evidence. Baseless claims. Just like they said about the assertion that there were FBI informants involved in the first place. They said there was no evidence of that. Those were baseless claims. Now we have a new set of baseless claims that ignores the fact that they called the other claims baseless in the first place. But the lawyers for the Proud Boys have made entirely different claims, arguing that the information the confidential sources provided to prosecutors appears to be exculpatory and could contradict the government's chief allegation in the case that their clients went to Washington on January 6th with a plan in place to storm the Capitol and disrupt the transfer of power from President Donald J. Trump to Joseph R. Biden Jr. And you got to say the whole names if you're the New York Times. That makes it very, very proper, very, very astute, very, very serious. And it gives you extra reading so that you forget about the fact that they just said the government's chief allegation in the case is blown up by this evidence. The newly disclosed material called into question, quote, whether a Proud Boy conspiracy plan to obstruct the Biden-Harris vote certification or to commit sedition ever existed or could have existed. J. Daniel Hall, Mr. Biggs's lawyer, wrote in papers filed on Monday. The notion of whether there was a predetermined plan to attack the Capitol or whether the violence that erupted there on January 6th was more spontaneous will be one of the key disputes when the Proud Boys trial, now scheduled to start on December 12th, goes in front of a jury. To prove seditious conspiracy, prosecutors will have to show that the defendants knowingly entered into an agreement to use force to stop the lawful transfer of power after the 2020 election. Oh, that's strange. I thought they were guilty just for thinking that the election might be stolen. That's kind of how it's been portrayed to us the entire time. They're election deniers. They went to the Capitol to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, to disrupt the certification proceedings. And that is conspiracy to commit sedition. Well, this is odd because they're describing it a whole lot differently now. Knowingly entered into an agreement to use force to stop the lawful transfer of power. I don't think they're going to find evidence of that. If the information provided by the informants is indeed exculpatory, the lawyers for the Proud Boys could, in theory, call some of them to testify at the trial and rebut the government's charges. Oh, they have to appear or else it's all not true. A similar dynamic has been playing out in recent days in the Oath Keepers sedition trial, which could go to the jury as early as this week. A central part of the defense's strategy in the case has been to introduce evidence that the Oath Keepers had no explicit plan to attack the Capitol. And of course, that's weird because we were told that they conspired directly with Donald Trump. Now, Chris Ray, the director of the FBI, was on Capitol Hill to testify about this and other issues. And Representative Clay Higgins went after him. Director Ray, does, it, does the FBI have confidential human sources. Uh, did the FBI have confidential human sources embedded within the January 6th protesters on January 6th of 2021? Well, Congressman, as I'm sure you can appreciate, I have to be very careful about what I can say about when. Even now, because that's what you I, told us two I years ago. May I finish? Uh, about when we do and do not, and where we have and have not used confidential human sources. Uh, but to the extent that there's a suggestion, for example, that the FBI's confidential human sources or FBI employees in some way instigated or orchestrated January 6th, that's categorically false. Did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol on January the 6th prior to the doors being opened? Again, I had to be very careful. It should be a no. Can you not tell the American people, no, 
we did not have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol. Gentlemen's time has expired. You should not read anything into my decision uh, not to share information. Director Ray, gentlemen's time has expired. Thank you, Mr. Oh. Chairman. So the FBI director cannot say definitively that the FBI did not have sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol prior to the doors being open. Chris Ray can't answer that question. And then he is saved by the committee chairman who is actively trying to cut off his answer and make sure he knows that you shouldn't answer any more of this. So the January 6th narrative is absolutely collapsing. And once again, pretty amazing timing. Now, just two more quick things before I wrap up. One is that Kevin McCarthy has been selected as the Republican Party's nominee to be Speaker of the House in a vote by Republicans today that broke down 188 to 31. Now, that does not mean that Kevin McCarthy will end up being Speaker of the House. It requires a full House vote. The Republicans would all have to get on board when it comes to that final vote. If there is a group of Republicans who are going to abstain from voting for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker, then he would not be able to reach a majority to name him Speaker without the involvement of some Democrats. So unless he's planning on recruiting Democrats to the cause, which would expose a whole lot really quickly, there's a possibility that if there are enough Republican holdouts, we could end up with a different nominee for Republican Speaker of the House. And that reminds me, I forgot to mention one of the more realistic potential options. I don't think it's going to happen, but a lot of people have suggested that Donald Trump might put his name up for Speaker of the House, and that would certainly make a lot of news, and we'd find out pretty quickly where the Republicans in Congress stand. And then finally, reports have come out in the last hour or so that a Russian missile has struck a small town on the Polish side of the Poland and Ukraine border, which, as you might imagine, is being sold to the American public now as something that would necessitate NATO involvement in a war effort against Russia and pull the United States into that with NATO. We are being told that this accident or complete and total false flag will be used as justification to start World War III. And it should shock no one that a wag the dog effort like this is being attempted on the same day that they desperately need any distraction from whatever Donald Trump might announce tonight. So Trump has called it potentially, hopefully, one of the most important days in American history. And all of a sudden, media, everything going on in geopolitics has reached a frenzy pitch. Something definitely seems to be going on in these situations. I always assume that Donald Trump knows what he's going to do and that the global communists know what Donald Trump is going to do, or at least they have some suspicions and they believe those suspicions are justified and they believe the content of those suspicions is so devastating that they have to make sure no one pays attention. It seems like that's all they have left, but it remains to be seen. So as Donald Trump often says, let's see what happens. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!